everybody. Welcome to Walton Biz Talk, where we have casual conversations about professional things. We're a student-run podcast created by the Business Communication Lab in the Sam M. Walton College of Business. I'm Ryan Decker. And I'm Jesse Schneeblen. And this season, we're exploring the topic of health. We're going to explore a lot of different interdisciplinary approaches to the subject of health and really see what it is and why it's an important topic to discuss. We're going to explore everything from health in the humanities to economics to innovation and technology. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of really exciting things and we're going to talk to students and professionals. So Ryan, what are you most excited about this season? I'm really interested to hear about the economic approach to healthcare. Uh, Last semester I took a class where we discussed how economics comes into play with health and healthcare. And it was something that I didn't really think about before taking this class, and it's something that's really interesting to me um, to apply that interdisciplinary approach to this topic. What about you? What are you looking forward to? I think I'm most looking forward to the communication aspect of health. How do we talk about it? Who's talking about it? What kind of messages are being created and received? Um, And how does that impact people in the health-related field in general? Um, We also spoke to Dr. Guan, from the communications department about health communication. And one of the things that we focused on before we started the season was how do you define healthcare? Like what kind of language do you use? Do we call it health? Do we call it healthcare? Um, And so I think that it's gonna be really interesting to bring together all these interdisciplinary approaches and really see um, what is health and how can we get different people to talk about it. Yeah, I think this season will be really interesting. And so to start us off, we're going to talk to Dr. Guan, and you'll hear that episode after this. So enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Walton Biz Talk. Today, we are here with Dr. Meng-Fei Guan, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Communication. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. So this season, we're exploring health and healthcare and really everything that kind of goes along with that theme. So to get started, Let's kind of talk about what health and healthcare really is, um, because a lot of people, they hear about healthcare, whether it's in the news or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, but like, what's the difference between health and healthcare? Okay, that's a really starting, <laughs> good starting question. Actually, this semester, I'm teaching a health communication campaign course, and I enjoy teaching the classes so much. Um, I personally designed that course when I was a doctoral student, so... Um, I have a lot of passion in this field. So to start with your first question, what is health? So this is a question we rarely think about in our daily conversation. So very funny things that I just taught my student what health is in the in the health campaign class uh, last week. So health is basically a state of like um, physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So this definition was proposed by uh, WHO in 1940s, I believe, more than like 70 years ago. And this definition is still holds true today. So they haven't changed the definition uh, for more than 70 years. Mm-hmm. So like give an example. Um, for example, I would say that um, recently uh, I feel tired, especially after having the baby. <laughs> I... Um, I had been sleep deprived, very exhausted as the first time parent. Um, so for this situation, I would say I wouldn't say that I was sick, but at the same time, I wouldn't say I was healthy because I experienced a lot of pressures, sometimes anxieties and like a lot of sleep deprivation. 
So I feel like um, there is some middle point between completely healthy and or being sick. Right. So that's the general idea about what health is. Interesting. We had so initially when we were thinking about the topic for this semester, we thought we'll talk about healthcare, right,、mm-hmm. and everything that kind of goes into that. So like technology,、uh, innovation, communication, etc. But when we were communicating with you earlier, you made a differentiation between healthcare and health,、mm-hmm. or like healthcare and health communication.、Mm-hmm. So I think that's made us think more intentionally about the language that we're using、mm-hmm. or how we want to talk about this. As a theme or a subject, so what is the difference between like talking about health or healthcare? What is that like? What's the difference? Like, how should we be talking about this? Okay, so for me, I would say we usually use the term health communication to describe this subfield in、uh, the communication、um, discipline,、mm-hmm. and healthcare communication, or with the communication in healthcare settings. Is one area of health communication because there are many many aspects of health communication, and the communication、um, in the healthcare setting is one of them. It's more specifically it is related to the communication between providers and patients. So that is the communication in healthcare, and、uh, so for example,、um, scholars have been looking at the dynamics or the interactions between. Providers and patients, in terms of their the patient's satisfaction with the doctors or the nurses or the healthcare professionals, and how doctors could、uh, improve their communication skills in order to increase the patient's medical adherence, for example, all these issues are related to communication in healthcare settings. So this is one、uh, important area of, of health communication, but there are other aspects of health communication. Yes. So, what are the other aspects of health communication? So, you have between doctors and patients、mm-hmm. the actual care、mm-hmm. um, in healthcare, but what are the other areas of health communication? Yes, just like as individuals, we are seeking information, health-related information online, right,、mm-hmm. for ourselves or for for our family members, right? For example, health information seeking,、um, like sharing, right, or People would call it like lurking, right? We just, <laughs> right, just,、uh, just browse through the website or online social support group, and then as long as I obtain the information I need, that's all. I wouldn't post anything, right? So there are posters, lurkers, right? So we are exposed to a lot of health information、uh, in our daily life. So, so this, for example, individual level health information seeking, sharing,、um, or scanning will be one of the another aspect of health communication. Also, for example, social support、uh, is another aspect of health communication,、um, like social media, the effect of social media on、um, health-related outcomes, and also persuasion.、Uh, how we can design effective health messages to encourage people to engage in health-related behaviors.、Mm-hmm. So, like e-health, m-health.、Um, um, so there are like a, a variety of areas under the. Umbrella term of health communication. Interesting.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I immediately think of like WebMD and like <laughs> what that did to like just that particular medium. Exactly. Like, what that did for patients and like how terrifying it can be. It's like you know you Google like you WebMD a headache and it's like you have a brain tumor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of brings up an interesting point is that traditionally in the past when we haven't had online or、uh, 
web access, a lot of people would just rely on doctors for health information. Right? Mm-hmm. They'd go in if they had an ailment or something, and they would tell them what was wrong. Um, but now we see a lot more people self-diagnosing. Yes. Um, so do you look at that in health communication? Is that an issue, or is that helping? Like, is what what's the uh, deal with that? Is that a good thing, or is it kind of negative for uh, people these days? Uh, this is really complicated. I would say it's just, <laughs> yeah. it brings both uh, good and bad aspects uh, in terms of the doctor-patient communication. So the good thing is that uh, the patients uh, become the owners of their own health because they can always seek, seek information online um, so that they can have some background knowledge about the disease they have and then they can use like some medical terms when they're um, communicating with their doctors. But at the same time, we know that we cannot always trust the information online. There's a lot of like inaccurate information or like uh, like misunderstandings people just post it online. But as individuals, sometimes it's hard for us to distinguish those um, evidence-based information from those like fake information or inaccurate information online. But this kind of dilemma would create some challenges between doctors and patients. And for example, you you may notice that some research has found that uh, some patients, after they um, have gained some information online, they started, um, I mean, their trust in the doctors decreased, right? Mm-hmm. Because, and also for some people, they would use the information online, uh, they found online to question the diagnose, the treatment plans the, their doctor provided. And sometimes they just wanted to like test, right, <laughs> whether their doctors are qualified or not. Right. So this would uh, reduce the efficiency uh, of healthcare um, communication, right? Yeah. This reminded me, I just thought of this. I read an article recently in The Atlantic that was talking about how cultural shifts and um, the public's trust in the government impacts health. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, like, uh, it took an example from like I think 60s, 70s, and, and now, and like the whole anti-vaccination movement, mm-hmm. and it looked at like the level of distrust that exists now in our current political system mm-hmm. has decreased the level of trust that people have in doctors or in, or like health-related information. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, it's like, and it was really interesting. This article brought up a lot of things like people's mistrust in the CDC or the FDA, and mm-hmm. like suddenly these are not entities that are you know, for our benefit, but they're kind of like out to get us. Right. Mm-hmm. But it was a really interesting, it's, it's so interesting that you say that because it was such an interesting um, kind of overview of every time there's a shift in a negative health, public health situation, there's also like a negative shift in public's perception of government. Mm-hmm. Have you looked into anything like that or? Yeah, I think the vaccination is the one big right. thing the that big people example, have yeah. been debating regarding the effectiveness, the safety, uh, the risks, right? So like research has found that some parents um, worry about the safety of the vaccination, especially <clears throat> for their uh, children, because for some parents, we call it anti, uh, like anti-vaxxers, right? right? Is that the term? Yeah. yeah. So parents worry about that probably the pharmaceutical company are intentionally hiding something or covering something in order to for the public to continue using the vaccination products or worry about the government agencies or pharmaceutical companies are trying to 
hiding some information from right. the public, right? right? And also, a lot of parents have the perception that vaccination would lead to autism,、mm-hmm. but those are not like evidence based、uh, from based on、uh, CDC、uh, or WHO. And still, we say、um, medicine is not perfect, right? right. So, healthcare professionals are、uh, learning, obtaining information through research to um, through um, investigation, right? So, we're gaining knowledge、um, as time goes by, right? So, we say, for example, a flu shot is not one hundred percent effective. But according to CDC, it's still the most effective way to protect people from getting the flu every year, because sometimes the 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 most severe situation will be someone get a flu and then it can be deadly actually, right? right? So that's why CDC urges the public to get the flu shot every year or take the vaccination, right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, going back to the. Vaccines cause autism, right? That that's a thing that a lot of people have heard about.、Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if I remember right, there was an article or something posted or published by a doctor who has since lost his medical license. Yeah, and retracted. And retracted. They and, retracted the article、right. and everything, and he was. And new studies have been done on the same,、yeah. and there was no correlation. Right, but、yeah. it doesn't matter because everyone heard that. Right,、mm-hmm. I mean, it was out there. Out there. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's interesting when we talk about health communication that. Sometimes it doesn't really matter if it's true or not.、Mm-hmm. Just that if it was in, if it was out there, if it was published or something, people、mm-hmm. just believe it automatically.、Mm-hmm. And rumors can spread very quickly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah.、Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's interesting with communication, making sure, like we talked about sustainability last season,、mm-hmm. um, about how、uh, you know it's something that a lot of people have heard about, but. It's a very politicized issue,、mm-hmm. where it's like, well, no, climate change isn't real. It's not going to happen. We shouldn't be concerned about this. And it's it's almost like the communication hasn't been effective. It、mm-hmm. hasn't really convinced people that yes, there is a problem.、Mm-hmm. It's not anything that is going to hurt you,、mm-hmm. but、um, it's something that you should consider and talk about. Yeah, yeah. So especially when a particular consequences of our our current behavior seems far away from us. We our risk perception of that particular outcome or the issue is kind of、uh, is kind of low, right? right? Because it's it's not tangible. It's so abstract. It's 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 temporarily distant from us. So under that situation, people refuses to take actions to prevent themselves from、um, being affected by that, like no matter health related or environment related threat.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's、mm-hmm. interesting. So you've done some research on health and risk messaging, right? Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you found there? Yeah, that's related to what we just talked about about、mm-hmm. uh, how we can define、uh, design how we can design effective messages to encourage people to engage in health related behavior or risk reducing behaviors. So the most recent study I conducted focuses on the effective message framing. How we can frame the message、um, differently in terms of the、um, temporal orientation or temporal framing. For example, a behavior. If we wanted to promote a behavior, the、uh, outcome of the recommended behavior may seems temporally distant from us. But from the persuasive communication perspective, we can frame that particular consequence or the outcome as something. 
near us, right? So that's the magic of te- temporal framing, right? For example, the uh, health topic I selected in my study is about to um, encourage college students to get adequate sleep, right? <laughs> this is a big issue, right? <laughs> and uh, so, so adding another layer to this context, temporal framing is one uh, aspect. The other aspect is that for massive recipients, as individuals, there are a lot of individual differences. One of them is people's time orientation. Whether the target audience are future-oriented people or present-oriented people, right? Mm-hmm. So my goal is to um, create a match between the temporal framing um, and individual's time orientation. For example, I would use the future-oriented message to persuade future-oriented people and then use the like present-oriented messages to persuade the present-oriented people. Mm. For example, uh, I would communicate the benefits of getting adequate sleep from the perspective like um, you will like stay alert the next day, right? You will feel energized the, the next morning throughout the day. And then use this type of message to target the present-focused individuals because they are more concerned about the immediate benefits they will obtain or the immediate outcomes. And using the same logic, I would use the future-oriented messages. For example, focusing or highlighting the future benefits of getting out of sleep, right? It will prevent you from getting diseases, for example, and use this type of message to target the future-oriented people, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and the findings supported my hypothesis, so it um, it is effective. So we can, so future study can uh, look at the the congruency between temporal message framing and people's time orientation to uh, boost the effectiveness of persuasive messages. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out like what what my time orientation yeah. is. <laughs> There's like, a question am I a there. Future? Yeah. I'm like, am I? Oh, okay. I was gonna ask how you determine that. <laughs> am I a future or present oriented person? I have no idea. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, and I think that kind of relates back to like, vaccinations mm-hmm. that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. The big thing with that is that yeah, even though you might you don't get a vaccination, it may not directly affect you. Um, but there's a lot of other people that it may affect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've heard a term like herd immunity, right. uh, which has to do with people who maybe can't get vaccinated for um, some reason with their immune system or something like that, where everyone else getting the vaccination helps mm-hmm. them to not receive it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then if these people don't get the vaccination, they're at a higher risk. So back to what we were kind of talking about earlier about how you know it may not directly affect them personally, mm-hmm. um, but it would be interesting to see if, that was brought up to someone that, you know, if you don't get this vaccine, this person is at a higher risk to see if that impacts their behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, and this is just a question about re, like research and your research in general, like mm-hmm. how did you test like the, so how did you test the effectiveness of your messages? Like what was the assessment like? Okay. Yeah. So um, there are several approaches to study communication um, behaviors or scenarios. So my approach is more like social science. So I use survey, I conduct experiments, and, right? We talk yeah, about yeah. Yeah. communication <laughs> theory in class, right? <laughs> yeah. So for me, uh, for the recent study I just mentioned, I conduct experiments. So I designed um, two sets or four sets of message. I, I can remember cur- uh, clearly. 
So the message, the content of the message uh, are the same across all the messages, but the framing, the temporal framing is a little bit different. So I would randomly assign participants to read one type of message, either uh, future-oriented or present-oriented. And then after the message exposure, I would ask them to uh, answer some questions or to indicate their uh, uh, whether they agree or disagree with some statements. Mm -hmm. And those statements touch upon their attitudes toward the message, um, their um, risk perception regarding the health issue, communicating the message, their behavioral intention. So after they answer the questions, I can um, pull the data together and then analyze the results and then compare. For example, if the participants who were exposed to this particular message generated higher, like more favorable attitudes, like stronger behavioral intention than the other group, I can conclude that this type of message is more effective in this particular context. But... Again, this is only one study, right, right? right? So that's why we we talk about the importance of uh, like using theory to guide our study, right? So, for example, other studies um, focusing on a different health topic can duplicate the study and see whether the temporal framing effects um, will be observed in a different health related um, context, right? So that's right. one of one of the ways that we can test whether a persuasive message is effective or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And like the larger implication of this would be, you know, you could, I guess, craft a, a medical message in multiple mediums mm -hmm. to impact or affect or persuade different, like larger groups. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Kind of like targeted advertising. Yeah, targeted yeah, pretty messages. much. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think people uh, people misjudge how inherently uh, effective persuasive communication is in yes. general. It's like it it works for almost everything. You know, mm -hmm. we're in you know just as like the business communication lab. Um, I often tell students also that like job documents are persuasive documents, and mm -hmm. all the all this is like persuasive writing, but. I guess sometimes that doesn't stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, persuasion really is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's it's one of my research interests. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we talk a lot about health and healthcare, and obviously it's important for people to be healthy, mm -hmm. right? That's that's something that we all try to be pretty healthy for the most part. But why is it important to talk about uh, specifically healthcare? Right, we hear a lot about it in the news. Um, and a lot of different mediums. What, what's important about it? What should people know um, and be informed about with health and healthcare? Okay, so for the importance of healthcare, uh, the communication between um, patients and providers, apparently it's really important because the patients wanted to know the best way they can um, recover from a disease, for example, through the communication or consultation with their doctors. And in the past, we say without the uh, internet or social media, people have, like as patients, from the patient's perspective, people have limited resource and uh, knowledge and information regarding the disease they have. So they largely rely on their providers. So during that time, we say the patient-provider communication is more uh, paternalistic. So the doctors are... Uh, dominating the entire conversation between doctors and patients because there is like information imbalance between the two parties. 
And nowadays, um, with the development of technology, internet, social media, everything like WebMD, and from the patient perspective, they they can easily access health-related information online or from different various resources. And then the paternalistic communication dynamic has been changing to a more patient-centered communication. Right. So during the convers like a patient provider during the patient provider communication. Patients can actively engage in the decision making process.、Mm-hmm. They can like provide information, like actively provide information, seek information.、Um, they can express their concerns or share their feelings or emotions to let the doctor know the like the complete picture of the symptom sim- symptoms because sometimes t- symptoms are visible, sometimes are invisible,、sure. physical, mental. Um, spiritual, right? So the transition of the patient-provider communication from the paternalistic pattern to a more patient-centered pattern is, I would say, it's a great like progress in healthcare communication,、mm-hmm. right? right? Yeah, because people can advocate for themselves. Yeah, they need to. Yeah,、mm-hmm. yeah. I think that was something that you brought up between、um, like physical health and mental health.、Mm-hmm. Um, I think the communication with Between those two, has been it's gotten a lot better over the past few years. But、yes. I think mental health was something that we kind of、uh, didn't worry too much about in the past,、mm-hmm. and I think it's important that it's you know becoming more prevalent now. Have you done any research or seen anything with the communication of mental health specifically? For me, not specifically, but there are a lot of、uh, research studies out there studying、uh, the predictors of mental health or the outcomes of mental health and see. How we can improve people's mental health through effective communication with healthcare professionals, with family members, through social support. So there are many, many factors that can influence people's health, including physical and mental. So that is a trend in the communication、uh, research. Yeah. I, I was curious. I want to like go back a little bit and touch on one of the things that you mentioned about. Um, you know, like with the internet, we are we can be much more informed and sort of like converse、um, with our with our doctors and stuff. But I'm wondering, like, can you talk more about like the role of social media in health communication and like what what have you seen or like the effects of that particular component? Like, I guess, like coming into the conversation.、Mm-hmm. Like, what, What does social media have to do with this? I guess it's <laughs> a shorter version of that.、Mm-hmm. People access healthy information from social media as well. And recently, not recently, for quite a long time,、right. like government agencies, health-related government agencies like CDC, WHO,、uh, FDA, they have their own like official Twitter account, for example, right? right? So they would post information on Twitter, on social media, so that the、um, the public or the audience. Especially for the younger generation, they are able to、um, obtain the most updated information from social media. So, so that provides like a like a more diverse platforms for the public to access information. Not only the official website or the CDC、mm-hmm. right dot com or, but through social media, people can、uh, obtain information very easily. Yeah. Are there okay? Yeah, I was just gonna say、um, that kind of. Brings me to something. I saw there is a I think it's called the coronavirus or something from China.、Mm-hmm. There's some、uh, virus that's going around, and people are starting to freak out <laughs> because they think it's the next Ebola, right? The next epidemic that 
I mean, I think it's only infected maybe 100 people so far, um, but it's something that social media really spreads the message really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've uh, looked into this at all, but whether that's a good thing that people are aware of it or if it just causes more harm than good that people are kind yeah. of scared of it. Create like a mass panic. Right. I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, what what are the like what are the effects of like I, I think specifically too you're thinking about this virus. I think a little bit more about like the anti-vaxxer movement and these sort of like social media movements that gain a lot of traction mm-hmm. and spread like misinformation. Yeah. Yeah, I have been following the news regarding the the new virus mm-hmm. um, uh, identified in China. Regarding that, actually, I think as as for now, more than four hundred people um, have been diagnosed okay. uh, with this new um, virus. And I think, in terms of whether social media would help the public to get more information about the virus or create like uh, uh, some scary atmosphere <laughs> on social media and the people become panic, I think both way. Mm-hmm. We have to admit that both way. Um, but I feel like um, even if this new virus, the reason it would create some panic because it's new. It's not like something that we are familiar with. It's not like a flu that we experience every year, but something new. They have We have really limited information about that and we cannot really predict uh, how like the things will unfold in the future. So that's the reason there is a lot of uncertainty. So uncertainty causes anxiety, so people become panic. And because when people feel like they do not have a lot of control regarding this situation or their own health, they kind of worry about everything. But at the same time, the government agencies can absolutely utilize social media or online websites as an effective platform to update the information, to like inform the public what are the most effective preventions, um, like preventive behaviors they can do to avoid, um, like I would say, to avoid, uh, for example, contacting the people who have been uh, affected Mm -hmm. to um, protect themselves from um, being affected. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, So I think both ways. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. reminds me of the the jewel, the like e-cigarette uh-huh. used this summer because um, it was something that's new. Uh, smoking, you know, it has it kills a lot of people each year, but yeah. it's something that these jewel deaths or these e-cigarette deaths that we heard about was it really sparked change because mm-hmm. it was new. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of interesting where the communication of that yeah. information really yeah really affects it. Yeah, actually, in the health communication campaign, campaign class I'm teaching this semester, uh, a lot of students mentioned about the anti-dueling campaign, mm-hmm. like uh, on social media. For example, the younger generation. I think that's part of the truth campaign. Like extended uh, anti-dueling is the extended part of the truth campaign. Mm-hmm. Some younger uh, generation would post on TikTok mm-hmm. regarding mm-hmm. how they wanted to terminate the use of like dueling uh, devices. And to like create a buzz on social media and to make the video go viral mm-hmm. right. and to create some impact uh, regarding like, for example, younger generation, you need to be aware of the negative consequences uh, of drool- drooling on your health. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah kind of like with the cigarette advertisement yeah. uh, back in, I don't know, that was a while ago, before my time. 
2003? Well, yeah, I was, I was a little kid then. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the cigarette, like they couldn't advertise certain things and it was kind of restricting what they could say. And mm-hmm. I think that's similar to um, the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, before your time. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was, what, four years old? Yeah. Oh. Uh, those were the days. Yeah. Back when I had nap time. <laughs> cool. So what, what interested you in health communication? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, obviously there are a lot of different things to study in communication, but what drew you to health? So my research interests are in the field of like message effects, just like the... Uh, research project that I shared with you earlier. How can we utilize theory to design uh, a effect, an effective, persuasive health message to achieve some attitudinal and behavioral change among the target audience? So that is my overarching goal in my research. Mm-hmm. And so we can tweak the message a little bit and or create a different versions of messages and then run experiments and see which type of message is more effective and theory driven okay yeah i I emphasize that a lot in our class right (laughs) yeah yeah so that's uh one area of my research interest another area also related to message effects i would look at um the emotional appeals so how a piece of information or a message um, that triggered emotions no matter it's negative emotions or positive emotions that trigger fear You've heard about like a lot of fear appeals, right? So whether this kind of message would um, achieve some attitudinal and behavioral change among the target audience. So this is another area of my research interest. Interesting. So yeah. with that, um, for example, I think the United States is one of two countries or something that allows direct-to-consumer advertisements for prescriptions, mm-hmm. prescription drugs. Uh, do you see anything? Because I know people always talk about the warnings or side effects at the end of the commercial mm. you know this this medication could cause death <laughs> yeah. you know things like that is it's that, like way worse than right. whatever the disease is right. that you're trying while they to show treat. these like you know fuzzy yeah. images on mm-hmm. the screen mm-hmm. is that um, related to like fear appeals or anything like that or is that have you seen anything hmm. so fear appeal is more related to how we can um design a message that triggers fear associated with the negative consequences of a particular risky behavior, mm-hmm. right? If you are not following, if you choose to not follow in the recommended behavior, what will be the negative consequences that you will suffer? Okay. So this is the trigger of the fear appeal. And going back to what we just talked about, like a lot of drug commercials or even for like like a cigarettes products, there's mm-hmm. a lot of like wording labels there. Mm-hmm. Uh, smoking can cause lung cancer, for example, right? Consuming this type of drug would cause death, right? I right. think this is important, right? Because for the public, for as individuals, we wanted to know the complete pictures of the the products that we are consuming, right? So we wanted to know the side effects uh, before we make the decisions of, like, for example, purchasing, the, purchasing these drugs or, for example, using cigarettes, right? Mm-hmm. But apparently wanted to encourage people to uh, quit smoking, right? right? So those labels are really important. And a group of scholars are actually interested in studying the the warning labels on cigarettes mm-hmm. um, uh, package, right? So whether like only text-based warning labels or warning labels that contain pictures mm-hmm. would like leads to different risk perception yes exactly and the font size of the warning labels Mm -hmm. is on the front or the back 
or the the font or the font size, whether this kind of um, tweak of the warning labels would achieve different effects. A group of scholars are interested in studying this. And yeah. I think this is really fascinating, um, like research area. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if, it, if we think to a little bit about your research and experiment and thinking about like cigarette labels, I'm because like if you say like this packet of cigarettes, if you smoke this, it will cause lung cancer. Okay, well that's maybe like twenty, thirty years away, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like I I'm not gonna get if I smoke it now, I'm not gonna get lung cancer like tomorrow mm-hmm. or even next year, but maybe like twenty, thirty years down the line, or maybe sometime sooner. But I, I'm thinking about that research, and I'm wondering, like, if there were other types of messages <laughs> to yeah. put on a cigarette label. Like, this will make your... I'm trying to think of immediate effects of cigarettes. This will kill this X one, number of cells. Yeah, in your brain, yeah. like, today. <laughs> yeah, or exactly. make your breath smell, or your clothes stink, <laughs> or, like, anything that's sort of, like, immediate. Like, what would be the those immediate messages? Because I, I, I think when I um, think of, like, cigarettes, you know, when you're, like, a teenager, like, an early young adult... You don't really think about the long-term consequences exactly. of smoking. Mm-hmm. You think about the immediate benefits, yeah. which is, you know, for kids, like maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll look cool, maybe whatever, mm-hmm. whatever they're Peer thinking. pressure. Yeah, peer pressure. Those are the immediate effects, but the long-term effects, like, don't really impact you. And they're right. They don't, for the most part. So it's a lot easier yeah. to engage in risky behavior. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I should collaborate with you in the yeah. future. <laughs> you brainstorm a lot of interesting ideas, both of you. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, we we often we help people along the process of communication, <laughs> and we're we also you know do a lot of storytelling. So I just I think that's really interesting because I like I I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but I did when I was younger, mm-hmm. and I just remember hearing that a lot about you know, lung cancer and all the negative effects, but I did not care at Mm -hmm. all. Like never once was I like, Oh God, lung cancer, you know, because it is such a far away, you know, such a far away thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, with the jewel thing, I've never smoked those. I'm too old for that. But like when I saw that a lot of the ads are stories from it, it was a lot of like, it was happening to them right now. Like their lungs were being like, I forget what all this, but they were like teenagers who were dying. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, okay, this to me, that was much more scary because it was like, oh my God, I could smoke this one time and my lung would explode or whatever was <laughs> happening. But do you know what I'm saying? So like that effect seemed much more for me, like as an individual, like much more powerful because it was like, this could happen right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that I find that really interesting. It'd be interesting to look at the correlation between age and whether they're more future oriented or present oriented. Mm. Oh yeah. Teenagers would probably be a little more present oriented versus someone who's a little bit older. Maybe you know, since they're, for example, with the cigarettes, if they're nearing the age where lung cancer is more common, Mm -hmm. maybe that would switch it a little bit. Well, even now, as a young, uh, like not young adult, but like a young younger uh, (laughs) than that age, it's sort of like I now as like in my early thirties, I think more about the future. Mm -hmm. Like now, I wouldn't do that because I know it would impact me in my like 50s or 60s mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't seem like that far away anymore <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's actually plausible that, that I could get there mm-hmm. um so that's really interesting how okay so you talked about uh like effective messages and like kind of how you were thinking about the medical or like health how why does this interest you in the first place like how did you get into thinking about effective messages like where how did you get into this type of research 
Okay. Yeah, that has something to do with why did I choose communication as my concentration yeah, in sure. grad school? Yeah. So I think um, at the very beginning, my research, my my interest, not necessarily research interest, mm-hmm. but my interest is in the area of broadcasting. Really <laughs> yeah. <interesting. laughs> yeah. So. So at that time, when I was a college student, I um I have a lot of passion regarding like television news broadcasting. Mm-hmm. I was in the uh, broadcasting station in my uh, college <laughs> university, and then so I decided to pursue a, a master's degree later on, and then so I applied for a communication program. So at that time, my understanding related to communication is really broad, really vague. Mm-hmm. Um. So after taking some courses, I felt like I have some interest in health communication. At that time, I was interested in doctor-patient communication mm-hmm. because my dad is a physician. Oh, He's a specialist in cardiovascular disease. And my grandmother was a physician. Uh, she retired now. So I think this will be one reason um, that make me think more about the um, patient-provider communication. Mm-hmm. And then gradually, uh, after doing some research in patient-provider communication, I feel like the message effects interest me like a little bit more and more mm-hmm. gradually. So I feel like how can we design messages uh, across contexts, like between like government agencies and the public, or between uh, doctors and patients, like in general, how can we design effective messages to uh, promote health? Right. right, so that is the route how I yeah. dealt interest in this field. Were you, were you, was your undergrad in communication or did you have a different major? Different major. What was your major? English. English. No, I love that. <laughs> that's what my major was. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, and, and did you do an MA or did you go straight into a PhD program? MA and a PhD. Was your MA in, what was in your, communication? In communication. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's very different, yeah, going for, well, okay, so for me, as someone with an English and writing background, I can hear the rhetoric language that you're using. Oh, really? Yeah, because you're talking about effective messaging, persuasive writing, Uh and all that, so I could, like, I could kind of hear that, but I, yeah, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's really interesting from a business perspective, Mm -hmm. too, the Mm -hmm. way we talk about persuasion and things like that, and since I've taken some communication classes, too, it's interesting to see how different disciplines talk about similar topics right. yeah really interesting right. mm-hmm. for been... marketing i mean it's a lot to do with persuasion yeah yeah and yeah so like how they talk about it versus how the communication theory that backs that it's really interesting mm-hmm. exactly yeah you're you're right so in my own research i would read a lot of lit- literature in psychology mm-hmm. in marketing in terms of like persuasive effects right. right people's attitudes we talk about in class toward a toward an ad would influence their attitudes toward the brand mm-hmm. and then would in turn influence their like purchasing intention right? right so i would say persuasion is a really interdisciplinary study for sure. involving for example in health context involving psychology we have health psychology for example involving public health communication for example marketing mm-hmm. right yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I think that really sets the stage for the rest of this season, right. talking about how how interdisciplinary everything really is. Yes. Right? I mean, health, obviously, everyone cares about their health, um, but each, you know, like, a, a businessman would look at health differently than someone in communication versus someone who's a doctor or something. Right. And so it's really interesting exploring those different perspectives of the same theme or topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Mm, this was really you. interesting, and I know I learned a lot today. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me here. Yeah, I really enjoy our conversation. <laughs> <laughs>